0: so to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile unlimited premium wireless. 80 to get 30, 30 to get 30, 30 get 20, 20 to 20, to get 20, 20 I bet you get 15, 15, 15, 15 just 15 bucks a month. So Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 upfront for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This
1: is a Lip Media podcast. Howdy Sodomites, Jared here. My wonderful co-host Sam Hamilton has a film that's just come out on Amazon Prime called What Goes Around.
2: I sort of found his laptop. Have you opened it? No. A
1: timid college student discovers that her mysterious crush could be a serial
2: killer. (laughs) how's it going? Good. Uh, we're thinking of heading to a party if you want to join. But I'm not really sure if it'll be a thing though. I mean, what? Hi, 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 hi. just a bunch of people from high school. Like. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you even talk to?
1: Out Now, What Goes Around, directed by Sinister Sissy co-host Sam Hamilton. Check it out. Did they do something to you?
2: Just know that I'll never let anyone hurt you, not
1: ever. Now on with the show. And welcome to the Sinister Sissies Podcast, your guide to true crime, horror, and everything man-on-man man and macabre. I'm Jared, your master of depravity, and I'm with my partner in crime, my dirty, filthy little slave, Ooh. Sam Hamilton.
2: The lobe to your leopold, or yeah, vice versa.
1: you definitely the leopold in
2: this situation i'm the lobe i think he, he felt he was more guilty he felt more guilty so i'll take that he's a little bit more human perhaps or more manipulative i do i
1: was calling <laughs> you an insult recently as well which is
2: yes he's good. full he's just full of compliments today my lovely
1: master <laughs> uh yeah leopold was much more of the the intellectual type so it's kind of a
2: compliment which was which one was like the weird looking one Leopold. <laughs> okay, so I'm the weird looking one and just like the generally strange one. I'm, I'm the jock. I'm Loeb. Fine, you
1: can have it. <laughs> so in case you haven't gathered from that, we are talking about the infamous case of Leopold and Loeb. Murderers, they only killed one person, but caused a sensation in the 1920s because of the callousness of their acts. <laughs> You're probably aware of leopold and lobe from a variety of pop culture that's come from it uh, murder
2: by numbers starring sandra bullock who remembers, oh. who remembers that one i don't remember that one it was a childhood favorite okay um, it's basically a direct ripoff except they kill a woman instead to try and like be like oh no it wasn't the direct um we weren't doing, like, a direct copy of the case, you know. Yeah. But,
1: you know. I mean, the most famous one is Alfred Hitchcock's Rope, um, which was very, well, I was going to say loosely based on the case. It's The characters are based off, mm. clearly, Leopold and Loeb. So let's start off by talking about our uh, two murderers. So uh, Richard Albert Loeb was born on the 11th of June, 1905 in Chicago, Uh, Loeb's father was a wealthy lawyer and both of our killers today came from very wealthy families. Loeb was a very popular young man, uh, very social. Uh, All the media reports following this case act with surprise how well adjusted he was and that he'd end up killing another person. He was known to be very intelligent and entered college at the age
2: of 14. And graduated at 17. He was the youngest graduate ever of that particular university. the University of Michigan. Yeah, Yeah,
1: very, very incredibly intelligent um, young man. Uh, Also, though, a bit of a drinker and a womanizer. Loeb was a fan of detective novels and would often fantasize about... Uh, criminal acts and in fact was, was known for small petty thefts in the neighborhood even as a young man. Um, it was in his childhood that Loeb met Nathan Leopold who would be his partner in crime and they became close friends when they both attended the University of Chicago. Nathan Leopold was born on the 19th of November 1901 uh, to a wealthy German Jewish family. Rich kid again. Uh, Leopold, like Loeb, was a bit of a child prod- prodigy um, and was particularly fascinated by history and languages. I think he had was fluent in like four languages or some shit.
2: It was actually five. It was five languages. Fact, Don't you hate it? I hate
1: reading about like child prodigies and people who no. know how to do things.
2: It just reminds me of this guy I know who's really wanky and he can speak six languages. And so I was oh. immediately making like those negative associations, you know. Well, this, this is a
1: good lesson on don't trust people who know more no. than two languages.
2: I'm going to be watching him extra closely now. <laughs> um,
1: when Leopold was young, and this is something that came out uh, in the subsequent trial, he appeared to have uh, suffered some form of sexual abuse by a governess named Matilda Wants, who looked after him and his brother when they were quite young. Um, when, from the ages of when Leopold was six to when he was 12, but the details of that abuse were not uh, revealed in the trial. Um, and as far as I know, we don't know any specifics of it.
2: We just know that it was used as part of the justification as to why he snapped.
1: Okay. Yeah. And yeah. look, we're always skeptical in these scenarios about the trial narratives, um, where it always kind of looks a little bit more favorable towards the defendant than maybe it does in reality. Unlike Loeb, Leopold was awkward. He was antisocial, and he didn't have many friends. It was me, apparently. Yes, uh, <laughs> uh, he lived uh, a quite vivid internal fantasy life as a as a child, and in fact, used to fantasize about a different world in which there were kings and slaves. Uh, Very much in line with Sam. He (laughs) occasionally used to fantasize about being a slave. (laughs) Well, it's
2: just my reality, so I don't don't have to fantasize. Um, I dreamed big and it came true.
1: In particular, uh, Leopold had had a a memory from a very young age of... um, Pretending to be a slave to a well-developed, uh, good-looking 18-year-old who he met at a, a summer camp. This really um, does sound like my life story. <laughs> it does. He, and so these fantasies of kings and slaves, I think, play into Leopold's underlying psychology.
2: Now, right off the
1: bat, we need to kind of address the whole thing that comes up often when we talk about disease, which is it's meant to be gay killers, right? were leopold and Loeb gay lovers we'll talk about a little bit later as to why in our minds we think it's some sort of definite truth that they were gay men and that they were lovers the reality is that there's a bit of a murky history and a bit of a confused history confusing as well because 1920s sexuality The way people saw themselves and the way people acted is not the same as we do now. And so I think it's sometimes a bit incorrect to project things backwards, even if it is kind of relatively recent history.
2: Sometimes that's not the most accurate way of going about these things. But it is what the media ran with and it is what sensationalized and made this case as well known as it currently is today, you know? What we know is that they were good friends. Um and that they would do kind very of... good friends,
1: <laughs> special friends. Uh, they uh were juvenile delinquents from a young age. They there was a whole thing where uh Loeb, um, stole his mother's car and then Leopold would um steal was it his neighbor's car and joyride around the neighborhood. They were known for being little shits, little little rich kids um who would do uh, antisocial things from a very young age. Um, When they're at university, there were at least some early rumours about Leopold being gay. And we have two pieces of evidence which were to do with the psychiatric reports that came during the trial that both Leopold and Loeb did admit some kind of sexual contact between one another. The way that I kind of understand it is they kind of did each other sexual favours occasionally. Uh, But always good to keep in mind that in the 1920s that kind of happened a lot particularly Mm. in very kind of sex segregated schooling environments and those sorts of things it wasn't unusual everyone had that friends for that kind of same-sex behavior and i find it really weird as well when you look back and read of like letters um kind of pre-1950s between men they kind of did all love each other in a weird homoerotic way. Very intimate friendships. And they didn't give a shit about their wives.
2: No, <laughs> yeah. I mean,
1: who? Um, and so I think, yeah, we, we shouldn't uh, project too much onto what their relationship was. There was a sexual component to it and there was a strong yeah. friendship. Everything else is pure speculation. Yeah, I mean,
2: we don't know if specifically if they identified as gay or not, although there is some talk that Leopold as a teenager did openly express his attract- attraction to men, but I guess that's hard to verify now.
1: Yeah, um, and it's certainly burned more into the kind of cultural psyche that, that's, that
2: this was just a, a definite gay relationship yeah, when I, it's, it's complicated. I think there actually is this movie called Swoon from, from the 90s, And it's, yeah, quite a sexualized interpretation of their relationship. If anyone wants wants to check that out. Ooh, I want to check that out. It's in Black and White too for Authenticity. Swoon. All right, I'm into that. I think that's what it's called. So Leopold
1: and Loeb were good friends, very intelligent men. Um, As I said, Loeb was very interested in crime and had an idea that he often discussed with Leopold about uh, committing the perfect crime. He wanted to commit a crime and get away with it. Leopold being the more intellectual one tried to create a philosophical basis for them doing that and he was very into Friedrich Nietzsche. Now I'm a fan of Nietzsche so I think I need to defend Nietzschean philosophy a little bit here. A lot of Nietzschean philosophy is about recognizing that um, philosophy regarding morality is fairly arbitrary and that you need to move beyond that type of thinking. So you need to move beyond good and evil type thinking. So pure logic. (laughs) Well, not even that. It's it's more about um, kind of moving beyond labeling people as good and evil instead about projecting how you want the world to be. Is okay. the basics for Nietzsche. Well, they
2: suddenly projected how they wanted the world to be, so Well, they kind of took it in
1: an incorrect way, yeah. in my opinion, where it was less about um, trying to think different philosophically, and it was more about, I get to do what I want
2: because I'm a spoiled rich kid. Yes, well I think they interpreted the text to be that they were like these superhuman entities.
1: So the the Overman or the yeah. Superman yeah. or the Ubermensch is a thing in in Nietzschean mm-hmm. philosophy. And it means that you're beyond these moral systems of good and evil. It doesn't mean that you go around stomping on people. Well, look, they only stomped on one. There's definitely been killings that have been inspired by Nietzsche. I just don't think Leopold was a very good Nietzschean scholar. I'm just going to put that out there.
0: So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promotate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: So they had these discussions uh, constantly about committing a perfect crime and, and demonstrating their ability to be above the common man. Leopold uh, and Loeb, at the ages of 19 and 18 respectively, set about to commit a murder. Initially, the plan was to abduct, rape, and murder a woman. However, both of them agreed quite intellectually that a child would be easier to handle.
2: Well, look, it worked. All they had to do was lure him into the car. Yes, you know, and success—they did it.
1: They actually had a a different child in mind that they were going to abduct, but opportunistically they were driving one day and they noticed fourteen-year-old Bobby Franks, who was a young Jewish boy who Leopold
2: knew from the past. It's pretty fucked up because I think he was actually Leopold's second cousin. Yeah, there was some connection. Yeah, there was a family link, and it was like his neighbor. Like, yeah, he really went close to home.
1: Yeah, and they—they were in tennis, they played tennis together. There was a tennis connection as well. There was a strong connection between Bobby Franks and Leopold. Um, They drove past one day, noticed Bobby Franks and Leopold lured him into their car. Um, Once in their car, they drove off for a period of time and we don't know who, but somebody started to bludgeon uh, young Bobby Franks with a chisel and then stuffed a cloth down his throat. The autopsy of uh, Franks indicated that a number of factors were at play, but most likely he asphyxiated um, to death.
2: Yeah, they gagged him.
1: Yeah. Um, Once... Franks uh, was dead. They stripped his clothes and poured acid on his face as well as his genitals. Yes, they
2: wanted to hide that he was circumcised for some reason.
1: Because there were a limited number of Jewish families, I think, in okay, the area. Okay, that, make, that makes sense. And yeah. so, the, yeah, it was seen as kind of a, a way to identify him. Um, they then set the second step in of their plan in motion. They sent a note to the Franks family. I believe it was sent to the mother uh, demanding $10,000 ransom for the safe return of Bobby
2: Franks. And this is fucking, you know, they didn't need this money or anything. It was all part of it. This was all the game, the fantasy, the reason that they did it. They wanted to have this sort of like murder aftermath.
1: Yeah, the perfect crime. They yeah. wanted to be able to manipulate people around them. However, that quickly fell through because Frank's body was found, I think a number, a couple of days after this ransom note was sent. Um, and so people knew that, that this was essentially a lie in Um, the
2: lead up to them being caught but after bobby's body had been found leopold was apparently engaging like anyone who'd listen um in discussions about the murder trying to like drum up speculation within the community he even spoke to a detective about it like Mm -hmm. you know not in an interrogation sense but in a um you know you know i just want to play play some games here
1: And I think that was probably part of his kind of intellectual game. It's part of the thrill that he was trying to seek. Just kind of towing the line and knowing that he's better.
2: When he was talking to the detective, he referred to Bobby as a cocky bastard. Oh. And Loeb, however, just went on about his everyday life like nothing had happened.
1: Um, At the scene of Frank's body, a pair of prescription glasses was found. This was such an expensive item uh, that only three people in Chicago Mm -hmm. had this type of prescription glasses. And that quickly led the investigators to Leopold.
2: Very sloppy Leopold.
1: I love, there's there's many things in this which I love that like their precious richness is ultimately what like, you had to get this custom made prescription glasses. Yeah, it really worked against them, hey? (laughs) Um... Charmetic forces at work there. Um, They had planned for this eventuality, though, and they had pre-planned an alibi that both of them were going to use if interviewed by police. And both of them gave an alibi of that during the time of the murder that they had actually picked up two young women um, and gone out for drinks with them, and then the women didn't put out, and therefore they then dropped the women off. But what they didn't consider is that their chauffeur was also going to be interviewed by police, and the chauffeur was like, that didn't fucking happen.
2: And it turned out that the car was being repaired that night or something, yeah. so there's no way anyone
1: could have driven it. I have this image in my mind, and I don't know if this is right, of this, like, working-class driver um, who is just sick of these fucking rich cunts. Yeah, just... <laughs> and then when the police asked them to confirm the alibi, they're like,
2: no, they fucking did it. <laughs> Look, I would, I would say you're pretty close to the mark there, Jared. <laughs> so that ultimately... Put the pressure on both Leopold and Loeb.
1: Uh, Loeb was the first to confess and then Leopold uh, followed suit. Their version of events was almost identical except for who actually uh, hit Bobby Franks over the head and stuffed the cloth in his mouth. Both of them blamed the other guy for the actual fatal act. <laughs>
2: Despite neither one of them having any kind of immediate remorse, Leopold did say that ten years later it hit him what he'd done. AKA, I want my parole. Yeah. But um, that apparently they did feel a sense of embarrassment and shame for their families, and that's what really like their reputation's being ruined, and their yeah. family's reputation's being being ruined is actually what got to them, not the fact they killed an innocent boy. I can understand <laughs> this kind of like status-driven yeah.
1: rich person type mindset that that's the biggest thing that they um, would go through,
2: and I think it's
1: it's really interesting. Um, we were talking before, not when we weren't recording, about how um, mundane the murder is. Yeah. So this is ostensibly a thrill kill, right? Like, this is, this is them wanting to experience some sort of transformative type thing. Couldn't of, they have been a bit
2: more creative, though?
1: Well, it, it, and I think that, that that must have been part of what they felt after they did it, yeah. was this kind of like, oh...
2: Well, I mean, I guess they maybe meant to do something a little more inventive, because he, he did die of asphyxiation, yeah. so they might have planned to take him somewhere and finish the deed. Who knows?
1: Or this was the first of the, you know, yeah. a number
2: of killings that they were
1: planning. Again, we don't know much from that. Once both men were charged this led to a media sensation. And that's half the reason we know about this case. I mean, it's a singular murder, um, but this captivated uh, American, the American public um, greatly because it tied into a lot of cultural anxieties about the 1920s social movements. There was a bit more of a sexual revolution happening. People were drinking a lot. The alcohol was one of those things that was still kind of stigmatized. Um, and that there, were, there was more of a bohemian experimentation going on. And the, the these murders committed by these well-to-do, educated young men were seen as a bit of a, a sign of social decay. The boys, being rich, hired a very well-known defence attorney, Clarence Darrow. Um, the trial itself was made more of a sensation by Darrow, who was known for his very eloquent speeches, um and also his uh, tendency to leak private court reports
2: <laughs> to the media uh well, maybe so he liked the attention too you know i think he Two very P's much did three P's in a pod i think an interesting thing about this as well though is that this was quite influential in terms of in terms of swaying public opinion about like the death penalty mm. or at least the opinion of the legal system itself so so that's important to note so the 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 case
1: here wasn't that they didn't do it they weren't pleading not guilty and i I think that this is often confused sometimes in the the reports that you see about this case um they couldn't plead not guilty on the basis of insanity because they had confessed instead the question was uh what sentence should they be given and in particular should they be given a death sentence and in order to to say that a death, death sentence shouldn't be given clarence darrow structured this whole argument that both boys were psychologically damaged um, because of things that have happened in their past uh, and that's why they shouldn't get the death penalty. And, yeah, there are some really impassioned speeches about how um, society shouldn't kill people if people
2: have been created by society to act this way. Yes. Well, look, it seems like he was a little bit more about rehabilitation, a little bit less about retribution. Than other other you know people in the legal system at the time.
1: In terms of the the the, the case that he he made, um, claiming that the boys were psychiatrically um, troubled, this is where we got some hints of homosexuality being a factor. Um, we also got talk about uh, poor upbringing, Leopold's uh, sexual abuse. Um, and how their upbringing had caused them to have stunted maturity. That was the thing that was often talked about,
2: this kind of like arrested development. Because that's a normal thing. When you're 12 years old, you know, you kill someone, it's fine. But when you're 14, no. Yes. But, you know. So
1: they were, they were very confused, well, they were, troubled uh, boys at 18, 19. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, look, I don't know how well this um, type of thinking would play out now, but in the media, the media loved it because... These were kids that were um, everything that you wanted your kids to be. They were intelligent child geniuses. Um, and so the, the, they needed to come up with an explanation for it. One of the reasons that a sexual component kind of underlay part of the trial is because this notion of a thrill killing wasn't in the public consciousness and wasn't really something that the courts had considered in the past people understood killing someone out of anger and people understood sexual murder. Hmm. Um, And so there was a lot of incorrect reporting that um, Bobby Franks had been sexually assaulted, that he hadn't been sexually assaulted. That wasn't the motivation of the crime, Um, but there there was an attempt to to make that part of the narrative. Finally, um, Darrow's case for um, not uh, allowing the death penalty in this matter was that he essentially said that both Leopold and Loeb's actions could actually be blamed um, on society and the culture that had brought them up. A quote that I think captures that nicely is this one by Darrow. Is any blame attached because somebody took Nietzsche's philosophy seriously and fashioned his life upon it? It is hardly fair to hang a 19-year-old boy for the philosophy that was taught to him at the university. Well, there
2: you go, a very, <clears throat> a very early uh, case of blaming the media or, you know, literature for yes, a crime. There you go.
1: That our society and our education system had corrupted the youth to a point that they were killing. Again, total fucking bullshit. <laughs> um, but it worked in this case. Um, Leopold and Loeb were sentenced. They were given very lengthy prison sentences, but they were spared the death penalty.
2: And it's really cute. They got sent to the same prison. They did. So um, they. I should say it's cute. <laughs> they were sent
1: uh, to uh, Joliet Prison originally, where they were kept separately. But then, when they went to Stateville Penitentiary together, um, they they could see each other and they could speak to each other. And in fact, they. Were crucial in expanding um, the uh, education system within yeah. prisons. Together,
2: they got high school and um, junior college accreditations put in for prisons. Yeah, so, there you, so go.
1: you know they were doing something uh, during their
2: prison life. Yeah. However, this this
1: wonderful romance in Sam's <laughs> head. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking of you and me, Jared. Uh, okay, yes, we would find a way. We um, this wonderful romance, unfortunately, came to a tragic end. Uh, when Loeb was killed by an inmate named James Day on the 28th of January 1936. Uh, This is when Loeb was 30. Um, The narrative that James Day put forward is that Loeb essentially tried to sexually proposition him and then he killed him in return. Uh, But there's some speculation as to whether or not that actually happened or day was kind of playing up to this notion of
2: Loeb being a kind of homosexual predator yeah well i read on this um i read on a fan site for these two yes there is a fan site (laughs) that uh it was apparently premeditated and it had nothing to do with the sexuality but take that with a grain of salt there's definitely a lot of
1: evidence to say that james day liked the attention and definitely got a lot of attention by talking about you know how this famous homosexual murderer came on to me
2: well, and I defended myself like a manly man. Well, he really fucked him up. He slashed him over 50 times. Yeah, with a razor. Yeah, that's, that's a brutal way to go. And apparently um, Leopold actually got to see his... Like, he didn't see the crime occur, but he saw when Loeb when was unconscious. Ah. So he saw his, like, best friend bleeding, potential lover bleeding out. You, you have too much compassion. You've been on these fan sites too much. Maybe I have. Maybe it's the language I was reading. was like skewed my vision here. I'm seeing this as a beautiful tragedy. They killed it's the nuts. 14-year-old boy. I know.
1: <laughs> I haven't forgotten. Um, following Loeb's death, Leopold acted like a model prisoner and being an intelligent man, uh, very cleverly used the media and used publications to get the public on his side. Because of his good behaviour, his non-parole period was reduced um, and he was eligible for parole uh, far sooner than most people would have expected.
2: Yeah, I think a lot of people credit. He wrote an autobiography called, like, 99 to Life or something like that. Yeah. And apparently it paints him in a really flattering way. And it, But the book actually wasn't received that well because it didn't talk about his childhood or his upbringing and it didn't actually address the murder. So people wanted scandal. they got, I don't know, I'm a but great person. <laughs> it was enough, though, to, I think, get him some supporters.
1: Um, yeah. So he, there were constantly writers wanting to write things on Leopold and his actions. He was a frequent kind mm. of uh, topic of discussion. Um, obviously, very famously, uh, the play and the film Rope by Alfred Hitchcock comes out in 1948. In that there is a character based off Leopold who is the more sympathetic of the killers to Loeb's. You know, Loeb is this, in the cultural imagination, Loeb is this jock, tough guy, and Leopold is the sensitive uh, young man who was, you know, taken in by the manly man. It's bound to happen to Sam. It's us. I, it's already <laughs> happened. You, haven't you taken me in? <laughs> um, and I think in the, the public's mind that that may have. Um, driven some sympathy towards uh, Leopold because on in March of 1958, Leopold was released on parole. And this was fairly shocking to me. I, I had no idea that he was actually released um, and uh, ended up working initially as a medical techni- technician in Puerto Rico, um, but then uh, went on to get a master's degree at the University of Puerto Rico and taught classes there he ended up marrying a florist, yeah. a
2: female florist. I think he was involved in some like prolific research studies, one about leprosy.
1: Yeah, well, he was he started that whilst he was in prison. Okay. Um, he would often volunteer for medical experiments. Yeah, he didn't. That's... He had a malaria medication trial on him, I think. Yeah, and, and I think that that drove a fascination in medicine, which which led into his university studies and then him teaching. Um, so Leopold actually had. A a large post-prison life Imagine
2: finding out he was your lecturer Bizarre,
1: (laughs) completely bizarre That that had happened I had no idea before I started researching this Um, Leopold died On the 28th of August 1971 from a heart attack At the age of 66 listening to the sinister sissies podcast you can follow us on twitter at sinister sissies and you can follow us on instagram at sinister underscore sissies that is correct jared okay i was looking for approval (laughs) uh you can follow me on twitter at jared Bartle. that is jared
2: with a y uh and you can dm sam on instagram yes look i appreciate anyone sliding in i don't get you know it hasn't really happened yet but you know I'm, i'm waiting Dick pics in anticipation. Look, I'm I'm there. And until next time,
1: stay, stay sinister. sinister. Oh, <laughs> are, are we doing that? I now? don't know. <laughs> I just I, I, you, can <laughs> <this again. laughs>
2: you can do it again. You can do it.
1: And until next time, stay sinister.